everybody. This is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week, we have a very special guest, poet, writer, editor, a man of many hats of doing many things, Richard Georges. How are you? I am well. Thank you very much, Issa. Very happy to be here. Glad to spend a little bit of time together in this very wild and uncertain time. Tell the people a little bit about yourself, you know, what you're getting into out in the BVI. I guess I'm a writer of things. What pays the bills is I, I, I'm an administrator at the community college here in Tortola in the British Virgin Islands. Husband and a father. And yeah, it's about, I think that's about all my spheres of existence, right? About that, that's about this. You have three great books of poetry out. Your recent one, Epiphania. I wanted to know, when did you have your epiphany that you wanted to become a writer? How did this journey start? You're on book three, you know, take us back to what made you realize you had this gift and wanted to share it with the world. Well, thank you for calling it a gift. I think um, for a long time, it was a, a compulsion that kind of waited in and out of my life. I, I think probably the first time that I felt that tug it probably would have been in um primary school I think I have a friend of, of mine he and I were, were voracious readers and then we started like trying to write our own stuff you know whether it was stories or comic books we just try to create our own things I know um my parents had played a big role in that and as, as, as did my maternal grandfather so um I would get home from school and my grandfather would, would like would watch me until my parents came home and he would be he had an apartment downstairs of the house that we lived in at the time and so I'll be in there with him and he would just give me things that probably a six-year-old shouldn't be reading. So I was reading all sorts of like uh, great escapes of World War II. I was reading stuff like uh, Shane, like the Western novels. He was really into those. He had like, you know, a bunch of those. And a lot of things that probably were, you know, above my reading grade, but he didn't care about that stuff. He just kind of like, you know, here's some books. It was kind of reinforced. And my parents read, you know, my dad aside from being like a sports historian type Caribbean man, you know, could, could quote every single medal placing 100 meter printer in, in Olympic history or cricketers or footballers. But besides that, he, you know, often would just pull these uh, like quotes from Shakespeare out of nothing in, this, in, this, in regular conversation and like something would remind him of, of a particular scene in Shakespeare. And he just spit out quote from, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream or Julius Caesar, as you like it. So it's all, it's always been a reading family, I've always been surrounded by books. And I remember my mom, something to reward me would be, we would go to um, a, a local bookshop and you get like those illustrated abridged classics. You know, so they were like, you know, these little small pocket sized versions of like these very Victorian sensibilities of, of what classic literature was. So a lot of Dickens, aside from the British writers, you know, maybe it'd be like Jack London in there. So, you know, so like Call of the Wild, Moby Dick, Tale of Two Cities, Good Expectations, all that stuff. But in these like little abridged illustrated books. Your grandfather um, was giving you like the real deal. Like we're not playing any, like there's no difference yeah. in your education with learning. You're going to read this and you're going to learn. And your mother's giving you another side. So you're able exactly. to kind of merge those two with different types of reading. Right. And then I used to steal my brother's comic books. <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember he had like this old, uh, issue of a it was a Green Lantern comic book and my brother's older than I am a bit older than I am so like I think that I was born in 82 
and I, I found this comic that was older than I was. And I remember reading that comic book like three and four times. It was like just reading it over and over. And um, fell in love with comics that way. And then I just, so I just kept reading and reading and reading different things. Of course, my interest would, you know, wane and, uh, or move around um, different genres of writing, but always had an interest in reading. Now, taking it seriously, I think um, I had some teachers who really, you know, you'd have like composition class where you have to write a story and stuff. And I had teachers from primary school up through my, my high school and even um, early college years where it was like, you know, there's something there that you should nurture. To be honest, I, I did, I, I was studying, um, I was going to study computer science and had a, an advisor who was like, um, <laughs> I don't know if this is for you. <laughs> and then um, before that, in high school, I was actually studying uh, natural sciences. My mom was like, you sure you want to be doing sciences? And if you look at the drop, they drop in these hints, you know, this is probably not where your calling is, you know? Um, so I finally succumbed to all that. I think I got to college, studied English, and then did an MA in creative writing in, uh, in Wales at Aberystwyth University. One of my, men my mentors, actually, I, I met there. And he's probably more of a mentor now than he was then, because I don't think I was, I was quite ready. So even after the MA, which is about 2007, kind of just sat down for a while and wasn't writing much just teaching and you know being being enjoying being in my 20s <laughs> you know but then around uh 2012 or so um started getting a bit more serious i mean i'd, I'd written poems intermittently more more of a you know when i felt like it was insp when inspiration knocked um but then i really started taking things seriously around 2012 2015 somewhere around there and actually started a PhD um, at uh, Sussex. I would say, yeah, between, around 2012 is when I was really like, okay, I'm, I'm going to focus on my writing and really start to dedicate time towards it. Why mm -hmm. don't we take time to develop our gifts? Because really writing and communication and, and being able to tell a story or portray history through different ways, like you said, through comics, you know, through historical texts, through poetry, mm -hmm. are ways to share, you know, our feelings and other feelings of the world. So this is a powerful gift. And if we don't nurture it, then other things that are written won't be able to heal us. And that's where I'm going. And that's what I would like to do. If you want to be good, you have to really devote a lot of time and money sometimes, <laughs> you know, you have to kind of like invest in yourself. And sometimes, you know, there might be that, that, that little voice inside you saying, eh, <laughs> you know, you really gonna do that writer's workshop? You really gonna do that class online? You really gonna spend that money there? And, you know, I think um, we have to be unafraid of, you know, investing in ourselves. <laughs> I needed that. I really did. You were going to share another, a poem, like you're going to give us two because you're, you know, oh, special. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to read from Epiphania. This one is called Still. We drove past so many stoic villages, the rows of rice fields, the centuries of molasses still thick in the nose. At Parika, the boat sits still in the Essequibo's silt, thick as molasses tied to obelisk rods, their bright favors like crude flags. And the receded water, how brown but still radiant. Beloved, we must seize what we can in our arms, spirit whatever we can carry from the conquerors. The sweet interlude still runs out into the world like the cold rushing tide and claims it like a dream.
Do bloody fingers cross these hearts? I still came home. We said our prayers with tongues swollen with language, gripping our lies like lines, that our bodies were still not bodies, that every part does not speak its own corrugated talk that navigates the brutal architecture of light and still sound with equal parts, grace, and inelegance. The boys and girls still must make their way down the remnants of the road. Still in this, do, do who comes home? Do we all come home? I think a question that I, I often have to ask is, you know, is, is, you know, what is home? Um, and where is home? You know, is, is it a, you know, is it a real place, you know, or, or is it a, you know, an, an aspiration almost sometimes of, of, of belonging or, or to belong, you know, that, that, that may not be attainable, that may not be um, something that we can actually, you know, reach. Aren't we always sort of at least partially displaced? Don't we all partially are partially disowned? You know, we, we, we never quite fully um, belong, you know, because even within being a, a Anglo-Caribbean person in a, a Black Anglo-Caribbean space, but there, there are other, you know, dimensions in which we don't belong, you know, the other dimensions that, that we are othered even in our, in our you know, quote-unquote own spaces you know so I think um the whole concept of home is sort of like this yearning for belonging that that you know we no one probably ever really can fully attain yeah so going back to the notion of home you were born in Trinidad and Mm -hmm. (laughs) to see recently you just won the 2020 Bocas Prize for Caribbean Literature how was that feeling home is interesting because I think um so, like, my mom is Trinidadian, my dad is from Tortola, but my dad also grew up in Guyana, but his mom is Antiguan, and my mom's grandmother is from Grenada. <laughs> so, it's like, you know, uh, I, I guess I could lay claim to the whole archipelago almost. Um, but actually, there's a, there's, a, there's a part of my Tortola family that is in um, the Dominican Republic that went at the turn of the century, they, you know, um, never came back. Another branch of them that went to Dominica, another branch went to the USBI. So it's almost as if it's, you know, we belong everywhere, I guess. You know? And what, what was interesting to me is, with, with, I'll speak shortly to how my emotions about the prize and everything. What was interesting really was just to observe who I belonged to. <laughs> you know? um, so, for example, in the Trinidad press, you know, Trinidadian writer Richard Georges. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you know, you know I, I was born there. I, um, you know, and I, I lived there until I was 12. Makes perfect sense why, you know, you'll say Trinidadian writer Richard Georges. The Georges ancestry is distinctly Tortolan, you know, going back, you know, hundreds of years. And of course, the BVI claims me, <laughs> you know, you know, we're all from many places. Friend of mine, Antiguan writer, uh, Joanne Hillhouse, of course, as I say, and he has Antiguan roots. <laughs> so it's just, it, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm happy to be pan-Caribbean, you know? Um, but, but, and it's interesting how that manifests itself 
uh, depending on who is talking about things. With respect to the prize, man, I was, you know, gobsmacked. I was shocked. My second book was long listed last year. You know, and so when Epiphania was long, I was like, okay, great. Because to be frank, I think Make Us All Island, the first book, you know, it got a bit of attention, I think probably because of the the shortlisting for the Ford Prize for Best First Collection. Not a lot in the you know, in, in, in the global sense, but maybe a, a good deal for a Caribbean-based writer of poetry. There were several um, reviews in the UK and they got some attention. And I thought oh, that was pretty cool. Giant also got some, some of that residual attention. So people saw it almost like sort of like a sequel and a, and a shifting of the lens, but you know, much, much in a, a continuum from Make Us All Islands. You know, with his concerns with history, shifting from um, the sea to more of like the landscape and stuff. But Epiphania, oddly enough, didn't really get that kind of um, attention with reviews and, and that kind of stuff. So you know, and then you know, it was you know, we had a modest, modest launch for it in in London, and I had another launch in Tortola. The fact that it was long listed, you know, I was like, okay, cool, you know, Epiphania, you know, it did its thing, you know, that's cool. You know, because it, to my mind, you know, people aren't really uh, checking for it like that, you know. You know, I don't really have a problem. <laughs> you know, I don't think my publisher does either. You know, like uh, poetry doesn't necessarily sell, you know, you know, tens of thousands of copies and stuff. It's more about we believe in the work. I had a really great experience with um, Anthony Anaxagoro, who's my publisher with Outspoken Press. And um, uh, Patricia, my editor, great editor. And I've, I've been really lucky to work with some really good editors in my brief career. Um, so I think we were really happy with just what we did, you know? And um, yeah, so when I got along with it, I was like, oh, that's cool. I was really happy about it. I was like, cool, okay, great. And I, I didn't really think much of it afterwards. I'm like, it's long listed, you know, it's not gonna be on the short list, you know, so I'm good. And then um, Emil Karasanathan sent me a message someday. I was like, minding my own business, I don't know, washing dishes or something. <laughs> and then Emil Karasanathan sent me a message and I was like, congrats on the short list. I'm like, shortlist <laughs> so i open up my facebook to see the re- full message and he has a link you know like boom epiphany like shortlisted for the focus prize like wow that's crazy that's crazy and i'm like because the list for poetry was like lauren allen and um uh, vani capodeo and if you know vani's awesome like vani's has been a real supporter and a real it's a beautiful spirit to be connected to throughout my writing career and she has made a way for me many times like, like when i was in england last year she actually one of the stops my little like mini tour like she completely organized put me in touch with a indie bookstore in, in um, edinburgh went up to edinburgh met the, met the bookstore folks had a launch there it, it was really that was all that's all vani she was like hey bookseller this is my friend richard you should you should launch this book you know these so connections really, are very important you know yeah no, we're a community been, yeah and she's always been like supported by that and like putting me in in contact with like um people who she felt like i, I should i should know you know and she's somebody who i've met at at focus and, I, and i've been i think most of our interactions actually have been online because you know uh, she's back and forth i'm back and forth and so on and so forth and then it's like okay i'm on the short list that's crazy i'm on the short list with edwish dandicat that's mad you know Edward's just like, wow. And as someone who, who, who's, I, I say I try to write fiction. And I look at Edward Danica, I was like, just, her, the, the power and the craft is just crazy. Um, I still can't get over 
the short story of uh, Claire the Sea Light. I still can't. And then um, Tessa McWatt is like, if you follow her career and like the range, you know what I mean? What do you want? You want poetry? Do you want memoir? You want novels? Like everything. I'm just like, I'm on the short list. <laughs> okay. Whatever. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. You know, you know, getting ready. You um, it's a pleasure just to be nominated in speeches. You know, <laughs> but really, just really happy just to be in the same sentence. You know, so I'm watching the prize announcement, and then like, uh, and Earl Lovelace is like, so I'm like, wait, is he? Did he just say I won? <laughs> did he just say me? That's crazy. So uh, and somebody else who like you read as a like a. 12 year old reading Earl Lovelace, you know, it's like to know, you know, decades later, Earl Lovelace, you know, one of the people who you've studied is um, announcing your, your book. That's like crazy, crazy. And I think even, um, if I remember correctly, yeah, and Dion Brand was on this list too, I think. Yeah, so it's like, I was just, you know, shocked, overwhelmed, grateful, full of gratitude. And so I, I really take it as a sort of um, encouragement to keep putting, putting words on paper, I guess. You're doing it. You know, you'll continue. Remember, you said you're going to spend some more time. You know, we got to be more devoted to this craft and write. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you have another poem you're going to share with us today. So this is called Listening. What could I have known of the easeful ways of sliding through this world? A dewdrop descending, the petals slooping splendor. This same moon that rose over great beasts and effervescing pools now rises over your back's prickling flesh. And there is only so much water within us, yet we are all pooling through our bodies, pretending to be solid masses, to be beings that matter, bodies with obligations to other bodies. For instance, death need not be such a final, final thing. The days heave along at a lazy pace. If there were still leaves in this naked place, they would be still too, or at least listening for the sighing tides of the Atlantic, for the shuddering clouds' fearsome report for the cyclic storms of trauma, tracing the exhausted courses of our ancestors, for the chanting sky's low, hollow sound. What fitting poems. Yeah, man, I, th I think in terms of, of I'll just say, like, I, I haven't really framed my writing as like catharsis per se. I, I think that kind of is, um, I try to make that secondary, you know, as like 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 as a byproduct. Because sometimes sometimes I don't want to burden the writing with that kind of responsibility, and then because then it becomes a reason for me to like not engage in it because maybe I'm not ready to deal, and then like subconsciously whatever I find reasons why I you know why I won't write, and so so I think um for me it's really about not being dissociated or disconnected per se, but to really like, well, what I've been doing, I'm working on fiction now. So what I've been doing is blocking out time. And it's, 
tiring because because of you know work and childcare and whatnot. I, I, I the only time I really have the only time the house is quiet is when everybody else has gone to sleep. So it's really like really like eleven to one um, is like current writing time. So what I've been doing is um, you know put the kids to bed and whatnot, and then get up and then try to, and it, it, it might not all be literally the act of writing, sometimes it's reading, sometimes it's other things involved, but you know, <clears throat> or plotting or, or, or just actively thinking about writing. So, so even the reading is done from sort of like the writer's lens. You know, like, how did they do that? You know, how would I accomplish this goal? You know, how did, uh, I don't know, um, Lauren Groff do it or Victor Laval do it or Edwin Dandica do it, you know? like so. So I, and I, whenever I'm working on something, I, I, my scope of reading just goes from a very narrow, you know, when I'm reading for ledgers, kind of relatively narrow. When I'm reading for like writing sick study, it just flies open, you know? So I think um, I, remember I, I had a, like, you know, uh, my Kindle app updates, like my Goodreads account. I need to stop that. I remember somebody, another writer was like, oh, you're reading this? I, you know, I started that, I was like, actually, you get annoyed with me, we can't read it together because I'm reading like 10, <laughs> you know, novels and like five short story collections all at the same time. And there's no way I'm going to like um, finish, <laughs> you know, on time because I'm reading all these other things, you know? So I'll read like a chapter or two and then just put it down and go somewhere else um, or read a short story and then put it down and go to a different collection. Um, cause I'm enjoying my reading, yes, but I'm really studying, you know, before I really commit to my own stories. Kind of, you know, so it, it, it's sort of like a, you know, it's a discipline, you know, and, and some weeks I write more than others, but I haven't got to the point where I'm saying, okay, boom, these are the word counts. I'm going to get X amount of words a week. But it's more so like, hey, I'm, this time I'm going to guard and this time is precious and I'm going to be doing you know, at least five days out of the week, I'm going to be, you know, I'm putting time in, in, into the writing. So that's kind of like my current process. And so once I've dedicated that block, you know, that I, I, my mind is working, you know. So, so writing isn't just quote unquote writing, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a much broader, you know, writing is also reading, writing is studying, writing is, um, you know, plotting, writing is thinking. And then there's a, realizing this now, you know, yeah. as I take my time, but it's a process. So yes. So how are you on your way, Richard? How am I on my way? <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, gonna have a couple of ways I can interpret the question. <laughs> so, um, I don't really know where the way leads, um, but I'm fine with that. So it, it, it's more like, a, I don't see myself as having, you know, any particular agenda outside of these voices that I'm trying to uh, channel, or I guess I could call that more of an, an obligation, or, or uh, sometimes it feels like a responsibility. I think that's the part that um, weighs on me, pardon the pun. I think Sometimes, like the pressure, I, I mean, I put an immense amount of pressure on myself, you know, and I'm very like hypercritical about like what I write. 
which I think, which I think is, is, is a good thing. I, I'm never like, oh, that was great. That's perfect. Done. <laughs> I'm always like, ugh, um, you know, this has to go, that has to go. I'm not sure what this is doing and so forth. I think, um, so there's that, but there's also, I don't, I don't know, this, this might be because I'm from a small place. Sometimes it feels as if like folks are kind of looking like, well, aren't, you know, it's on you. <laughs> you know, as long as it feels as if, you know, not many folks are, are writing. Sometimes I feel like, but then I, I don't want to feel like I have to write it all. You know, but sometimes there's that nagging um, feeling. There's that kind of pressure. So I think, yes. Yeah, so, so sometimes that's kind of like the weight. Yeah, but I think right now I'm 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 just um, enjoying and trying to enjoy. You know where where things where things lead, and from my mind, I I, I am much much more concerned about writing into this space that has been so underwritten and misunderstood and under under understood over the years and to really sort sort to start to try to put you know Virgin Islander voices about the Virgin Islands out there. Lots have been written about the Virgin Islands, but usually from not from the Virgin Islanders perspective. So I, I think that is my my calling per se. And of course by doing that, you know, I have to loop in me and that includes, you know, uh, Trinidad and Tiga and Guyana and some of the places that kind of inform my being. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I feel you. And you're on your way, you're doing well, you know, and you will inspire others to find their own way, you know what I'm saying? Wherever that may lead. And we need to like kind of trust that. But it comes, it comes with time. It comes with patience and also comes with a lot of hard work. So lots of hard work. Yeah. Lots of hard work. Tell the people where the, can they connect with you? Where can they buy your book and support you? Yeah, richardgeorges.com is, is, has, all, you know, all the links to stuff, stuff and stuff with the buying and stuff. I would say, you know, if, if you, I would love if you people were interested enough to support and, and to purchase the books, but I would personally, I prefer if they bought from the publisher as much as they could or, or talk to your local bookstore in terms of how to get a, you know, a copy of my book to you. Um, two of the books are on Kindle. You know, if you, if you really, if it's hard to get things nowadays, which I know is hard for some people. And also on there, there's links to my um, social media and, and the like. So yeah, richardjoyce.com. Hit him up, buy his stuff, read it and learn and grow. And I'm grateful, you know, for all that you've done. Coco was the first place I got published in the Caribbean. So uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Did I know that? No. <laughs> yeah. Happy so to, you, happy to have been involved. Thank you for, you know, leading that light. I'm just following Embracing Mind. So this is why you continue to do what you do. Because we, we see it, you know, we just have to, once again, take our own time to find our own ways. So Amen. for everyone to, who's listening, once again, we just say thank you for your support, for listening to all of my guest story, but most of all, making sure that you stay true to your journey, wherever you are on your way. Until next time, this is Isa Cosette. Y'all be blessed.